You're listening to Feral Attraction. Hosted by Metrico and Vero the Science Collie. On tonight's show, we open with a discussion on how furry virtual sex might be leading the future of sexual interaction. Our main topic is on differentiating online kinks versus in-real-life kinks. Which kinks translate well online to real life, and how can you incorporate them into meat space? We close with a discussion on how to handle a DS relationship with multiple pets and masters. Hello again, and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. We also have another Science Collie here today as a guest. We're joined by Barkley. Bark! Hi, I'm Barkley. (laughs) Who is apparently (laughs) delayed one day in New York because he's going to Athens and got a layover, an extra long layover at JFK. So we have a surprise guest. Yeah. Yeah. I got $1,300 to make my layover an extra 26 hours. So... Could be worse. <laughs> there are worse things that have happened at JFK. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and apparently now the uh, Feral Attraction Studio is a bit of a flop house, but that's all right. And yeah, there are a lot of carrots in the stew. <laughs> uh, Mer. <laughs> <laughs> ain't uh, no baby carrots either. Oh my god. Moving along, we wanted to open the show with an, a discussion. Oh my god. <laughs> you guys are awful. Mm. Stop uh. it. <laughs> On topic, please. So we, we wanted to open the show. There was an article that came out in Inverse, uh, which is um, an online journal, where um, somebody made the argument that uh, the, the article is actually titled, What Furries Can Teach Us About Sex in the Kinky Avatar-Filled Virtual Future. Um, and the author of this was Emily Gaudet. And she asks the question, what happens when you use a borrowed body to take someone to bed? And we thought that this was actually a really fascinating article, and we've linked to it in the show notes if you want to take a look at it, because it goes through the idea of what the furry fandom has done in terms of online sex, virtual roleplay through, say, Second Life or Mux or Furcadia, and really just like the use of eroticism in artwork and novels And how that actually impacts the human psyche. um, And also how it affects our ability to have healthy, meaningful relationships. And it really touches on a few other really interesting concepts as well. uh, Pertaining to how being engaged in this kind of persona or persona-driven sort of sexual engagement really shapes and alters people's relationships. Mm -hmm. And one of the quotes I thought was particularly interesting from the piece was that monogamy is hard to define when sex becomes a creative act or a means of sharing a fantasy. And that's something that I think furries definitely know all too well, because we often base a lot of our both in-real-life sex and our fantasy sex, as we're going to talk about on mm-hmm. tonight's show, uh, in fantasy. And a lot of it is driven by those sorts of uh, fantasy engagements. Right. And, you know, it's it's we have mentioned on several occasions that the furry fandom is uniquely enriched with individuals that are trying non-monogamous relationship styles. And a lot of them might have to do with the idea of fantasy-driven eroticism, of fantasy-driven sex through online roleplay, where the idea of monogamy may not be perhaps so strictly enforced. Right, because in this sort of model, you're... Uh, sexual partners are more like creative partners. And you wouldn't really think of yourself as cheating if you were writing an, an erotic novel with someone else, right? But that's essentially what a lot of uh, furry online relationships become, is a co-written 
narrative mm-hmm. of two characters coming together and creating plot, creating story together that often does involve sex, but it's not necessarily about the sex. And actually, in the article, the author makes the notes, the the idea that in the future, sex will be less about what you and your partners are and more about what you're able to create for each other, either through roleplay or the simulation of an experience. So, you know, whether it's through roleplay, whether it's through type fucking, as we you know used to call it, or whether it's through using some kind of a virtual reality simulation or who knows what in the future might happen. You know, there might be actual machines that can simulate like active sex that you can purchase that can be used with other programs. Wouldn't it be crazy if Second Life had like a virtual reality, like you put on the Vive and then there's like an attachment for a dildo or like a flashlight. And then like you can actively have the sex with each other through distance, through long distance. There's a flashlight attachment for iPads and an app you can download. It uses the accelerometer to determine how fast you're humping into the flashlight that's suction cup <laughs> to the iPad. Do you know what the, the term of the field that, that makes these, uh, kind of internet of things sex toys is teledildonics teledildonics that is yeah, so, like yeah i want to be a teledildontist when i grow up <laughs> a, tel- tel- a teledildonicist yes a dildontist a, del- a dildontist <laughs> yes i do know that there's a dinosaur <laughs> <laughs> has a really long neck the dildontosaurus rex <laughs> new from bad dragon tiny little arms <laughs> you know the problem is the virtual re- reality of the future is going to be owned by imvu isn't it <laughs> no. <laughs> no it'll be it'll be facebook you'll have to download all of your contacts click here for microtransactions <laughs> oh it's not that small <laughs> i mean it is kind of interesting where nowadays we do have fairly you know reliable advanced virtual reality headsets that sort of thing where you can you know observe you can participate somewhat passively in virtual reality sexual you know experiences we'll say it'll be interesting to see where that goes because for a lot of people virtual sex uh, role play that sort of thing that really is you know the bread and butter of what they enjoy in terms of their sexual experience so i'm interested to see where it goes because it does become then a narrative, a story that you create with somebody else, you know, you create the scene, you have full control, and you're able to set the parameters for the experience, you're able to pre-negotiate it. So I think it'll be really interesting to see what the future holds in terms of that. But, you know, going back to the article, it's, you know, she, the, the author, she goes on to say that, you know, many furries are attuned to, to a conception of sensuality. Because they have to create this shared fantasy with their partners in order to fully enjoy sex with each other and project their imagined identity into the fun. And she makes the the argument that she discusses what the furry fandom is with several furries. I believe she had up to 30, but she really only goes into detail with about four or five. And she talks about what a fursona is to them and what it is to be a furry. And you know, about whether or not it's something that's strictly online, whether or not it's something that they live every day as if their fursona is part of them. Maybe they have a deeper connection. Maybe their theory and other can. And, you know, it's it's more of a core ideal, a core foundation to their identity. And, you know, to, to have the idea that, you know, if your fursona is more an avatar than a piece of yourself then you do have to go out whenever you have these online role plays, whenever you collaborate with other people on YIF art or erotic novels within the fandom, erotic stories on uh, So Furry, 
you do have to go out of your way to be collaborative. You have to go out of your way to not express really this idea of physicality, but it's an emotional sensu sensuality, an emotional <laughs> sensuality that you have to express with your fellow fur, with your fellow scene partner, playmate, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, she makes the point as well about uh, kind of emotional narratives that take place both within furry uh, online sexual connections and within furry pornography. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really important distinction to draw as well in that because our kinks are so very often tied into the way that we see ourselves and the way that we project ourselves into relationships with others, uh, our pornography and our online role play tends to be much more emotionally invested. Yes. And that uh, is drawn as a, a stark contrast to human pornography which very often lacks that emotional sort of connection right a lot of people when they watch you know standard pornography um whether it's amateur professional studio browsers who cares um you know they have this idea that it's very they're very detached from the experience they don't feel as if they're participating in it you know for some people that's great because it's very voyeuristic and they get a peek into the bedroom of other people whether it's amateur studio but there is this idea that it is on some levels dehumanizing and on some levels perhaps it it you know objectifies certain sex acts certain you know body types you know this is what a hot guy has to look like this is what a hot girl has to look like this is what you have to do in the bed in order to you know make your partner happy and satisfied it can objectify certain sexual actions forms of gratification whereas within furry it's more of an emotional connection. There's far more of an emotional response where it's less about observing as if you are a third party. And it's more, oh my God, look, it's this character that I created. It's this character that I identify with. It's me. So there is a far more emotional response and a, a deep emotional narrative that gets driven whenever you are participating in erotic art, erotic novels, or erotic online play in the furry fandom. And it's actually interesting because the article does cite uh, research, uh, some uh, research that was done, which, you know, it's not conclusive, but it does indicate that the more porn you watch, the less you care about the variables which lead up to having sex, uh, such as foreplay, courtship, negotiation of, you know, what you're going to do in bed, that sort of thing, or even teasing. And it's interesting because I think all of those things are at A-plus levels within the fandom. There's so much teasing and flirting and mm -hmm. discussion and negotiation that goes on, as we're going to get into with the podcast today, because mm -hmm. a lot of our interests and such are so varied, and because some of them are, you know, interests in the bedroom and online, or not one or the other, mm -hmm. there's a lot of negotiation that goes on. So I think the fandom is quite different in that way. Right. She actually does say that furry porn pornography and virtual sex both exist very solidly in an emotional context. And both, uh, both furry pornography and virtual sex preserve those things, you know, teasing, foreplay, courtship, negotiation. It, it helps to preserve those things because you have to negotiate what scene is going to be done for artwork that you're going to purchase with somebody else. You have to also negotiate with the artist. You have to negotiate whether or not they're willing to do that. If not, maybe you have to alter it. There's a lot of teasing that happens. You can go on Twitter any God-given day, and there's just going to be teasing out the ass, and it's completely fine. There's <laughs> teasing going on between the two colleagues to the right of me right now as I speak. <laughs> <sighs> but that's part of it. You know, there's the idea that 
for for the furry fandom, you know, teasing is part of our identity. There is no narrative that exists outside of the fandom or even for the fandom that defines the fandom. And that's really what's unique about it. If you look at porn, for example, there's a strict narrative. Oh, hey, I'm the pizza delivery guy. Oh, hey, I'm the housewife. Oh, no, I forgot my wallet at work. Surely there's a way that I can pay for the pizza. Oh, I hope you wanted extra sausage. <laughs> you know, there's always a narrative. There's always some kind of a drive. If you look at other fandoms, um, Sherlock, you know, Supernatural, 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 Doctor Who, fans of those... Um, fandoms or or i mean let's look at sonic the hedgehog you know that's probably not (laughs) i mean you know let's go over it fast (laughs) gotta go fast um but the thing is is that you know if you have an original character that's a sonic the hedgehog uh you know fan-based character i mean tails is pretty hot yeah well i mean an original character and tails with four tails sure if you have (laughs) If you have Tails, if you have an original character version of Tails that has four Tails, sure. Kitsuna Tails. The point that I'm trying to make (laughs) is that there is a pre-established narrative that you have to fit your character into. And so even if you have some kind of a scene play, some kind of online role play, there's a pre-established world that you have to conform to. Within furry, that's not the case. You can do scene play however you want. It can be crazy. You can be a jackal with the power of ice and fire and ice fire and fire ice and wings. And... Which feels really good for a blowjob. <laughs> and I mean, it's it doesn't matter. And it's acceptable because it's, you know... It is what it is. So on that note, you know, it's important to kind of understand that within the furry fandom, there are indications that what we're doing in terms of online roleplay, in terms of our online artwork, that is kind of driving the future, almost, of what sexual interaction could be for the world at large. Yeah, the fandom has a sort of community-based hive mind of sexuality that is really quite interesting to think about, and all of the kind of sexual memes that we all share together. It's really kind of cool to think about in terms of the future and where we might be going with VR. Mm -hmm. So if you want to read it, we'll have it in our show notes. And yet again, the article is on inverse.com. It's what furries can teach us about sex in the kinky avatar-filled virtual future. And that was written by Emily Gaudette. Yeah, we're hoping we might be able to talk to her actually on the podcast in the near future. We're Mm -hmm. just trying to set that up right now. Yeah, she lives in the same neighborhood as I do. So we'll see if we can make that happen. If not... Go read her work and let her know that you appreciate it. She has a Twitter account linked on there. Let her know you thought it was great if you did. Absolutely. So on the note of virtual sex, virtual role play within the furry fandom, you know, we're on the topic that is kind of important. We've been hinting to it in the following, you know, in the previous weeks. You know, how do you translate your online kinks to a real world setting? And is it even possible to in some cases? Right. We kind of have to think about a large Venn diagram of IRL kinks or in real life kinks mm-hmm. and fantasy only kinks that we have in the fandom, much more so than even probably within the BDSM community, which is based, I think, much more so on things you can do uh, in, in the dungeon, right? Right. Yes. It's, I mean, it's very rare to see. I mean, you do see it sometimes mixed with other kinds of play, but for the most part, if you're a BDSM, you know, part of the community, a lot of your online roleplay will be limited to what can actually be done. That's not to say that you can that you're forced to you know keep it sterile, keep it you know in that fashion. 
I've seen a lot of online BDSM play that incorporates fantasy elements or elements that are not actually possible, you know, in the real world. So, but what Vera's talking about, this idea of a Venn diagram of in real life kinks and fantasy only kinks, you know, that's actually important to do. And that's, that's, you know, an important, you know, idea to kind of look at. Right. And the thing is, there are really, you know, when you're thinking about a Venn diagram, some of these things are going to be overlap. There'll be things that you enjoy both online and offline. Some of them might be things that you only find erotic in the moment. And some of them will be things that you only enjoy online in fantasy. And figuring out, you know, where all those kinks uh, lay is something that you're going to want to work out before you try to engage someone else sexually, either online or in mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it on a previous show, I believe on the first of our Kink Month series. We've mentioned uh, it a few times. Yeah, a few times. But the, the website Flist, which really caters to the furry community and, and their uh, indulgement of kinks and fetishes, mm-hmm. uh, allows you to set up multiple characters. And one thing that I strongly recommend you do when you take an inventory of your kinks and what it is that turns you on is actually consider setting up two versions of your uh, main character, the one that you identify with for sexual purposes, or ones if you have more than one, uh, and set up multiple versions of that character. You want one that is basically an IRL kink-only version of that character, the one that right. you might tell people about, say, hey, we're going to meet up for a scene tomorrow, mm-hmm. take a look at this character so you know, you know what kind of activities I might be into. And another version that you might use if you're pursuing uh, cyber sex uh, right. in a muck, if you're you know participating in... Uh, you know, uh, F-list type text-based role play or role play over another service like Telegram, then you might want to give out mm-hmm. that uh, character. Or you might give out both the character that you play with both online and uh, IRL. So that can be really helpful to do. Right. I mean, it's it's good to keep things as honest as possible. And it's important, especially if you're going, like what Vera said, if you're going to a convention or if you're going to a setting where there's a good possibility where you're going to be having sex with people that are interested in having kinky kinky sex with you set up that f list or at least you know have something that they can reference um that is to say you know sometimes it's just not convenient to go through a checklist with both parties f list is a service that already exists so if you're interested in having kinky fun in the real world why not take advantage of it Right. And, you know, the way that F-List organizes their activities is according to things that are your favorite things to do, mm-hmm. things that you'll always say yes to, things that are maybes, and things that, you're, that are no's, that are right. your turn-offs. A hard no. And, mm. and even if you don't use F-List to make your list, it's good to kind of think about things and organize things in that sort of a way, mm-hmm. because that'll give your partner a lot of insight into where they should kind of try to go with you to in order to make you sexually engaged and turned on. And it's actually even good for, you know, straight vanilla sex, you know, if you're not really interested in kinky things, but you just want to say like, well, you know, I'm fine with, you know, straight up penis and, you know, vagina or anus sex and blowjobs, but I'd rather you not titty fuck me, or I'd rather, you know, there not be any kind of water sports even in the shower, you know, things of that nature. It can allow for you to kind of say, these are yeses, these are noes. And it's going back to the idea of negotiation. If you're going to have sex with somebody, even if you know them very well, it's important to negotiate the terms of sex. It's important before you get into the, you know, hot and heavy, so to speak, you you have an understanding of where things should go and where things are not allowed to go. Right. 
Now, in some cases, you know, kinks are not going to translate at all into IRL kinks. And you might mm -hmm. think, oh, these are pretty obvious to that. You know, it doesn't matter if I list them on one profile, right? right? These are things that just don't make sense to try in person, like vor, uh, transformation, inflation, mm -hmm. uh, true anthro or feral play, um, tail sex. You know, yeah. none of us actually, unfortunately, have those glorious snap tails to play with, right? Yeah. So that's not really going to happen. But... You know, there are also some kinks that would work IRL potentially, but they might not be things you actually want to enjoy that way. And that could be for reasons of safety, for reasons of what the legality of your situation might be, uh, and other reasons. Any particular reason could make you uncomfortable. For, and also for reasons of just reality. You know, there are things that you could potentially, you know, enjoy, but maybe it's just not practical. Right. So this could be something like edge play or breath play, which is just intrinsically unsafe, or you feel unsafe participating in that type of activity. Mm -hmm. um, it could be something like impregnation, which, yes, I mean, obviously, most males can impregnate a female, but whether you actually want that responsibility for 18 years might not mm -hmm. be quite worth the kinky fun you get out of it. Yeah. Um, breeding would be in a similar category for males. You might think that's really hot, but not want to take on the STI risk associated with it. When we refer to breeding, we refer to two men having unprotected sex that includes fluid transfer, whether that's semen or sometimes it can even be urine. Right. Um, uh, when we use urine, we tend to refer to as marking, but the same idea applies. Right. So again, some people are really, are really turned on by that. That might be something you want to go and do with a close partner, someone that you know well, but you might not want to do that with a casual partner. Right. Uh, and you might want to specify that. Um, feet or gainer, it would be another fetish or, or a kink that doesn't necessarily always translate into real life just because of the health issues involved. Right. So feet or gainer is, you know, refers to somebody that enjoys giving somebody food to watch them gain weight. If you're a feeder, if you're a gainer, somebody that gains weight for your sexual pleasure, or perhaps the sexual pleasure of your partner, because they might be a feeder. Right. And then a few others, you know, just reasons of morality and ethics and also legality uh, would be online only. These are things like uh, rape scenes, um, cub play scenes, uh, zoophilia scenes, things of mm -hmm. that nature, where, you know, at least in my opinion, uh, role playing online is a harmless activity. But if you do that in real life, obviously there's going to be some major consequences. Now, it is important to note that with rape, you can do scene play that is simulated rape. We call that pseudo-rape. Yeah, we, it's simulated rape, pseudo-rape. It's not actual rape, and that's something that has to be negotiated on, and that's something that has to be understood. When we refer to rape here, it's the, you know, obviously illegal form of sexual assault. That's a big no, 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 yeah, no, 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 no kinky fun there. No, that's not kinky fun for anyone. <laughs> so, you know, what, what this really boils down to is I refer to the theater of the mind where the imagination takes over and you envision these scenes, you envision these things that you enjoy. You enjoy the idea of, you know, vor or inflation and it's something that's such a mental turn on and you can see yourself, you can see your fursona just... It's amazing, you know, having some awesome inflation and then voring somebody, being a predator, having, you know, it's good fun for you. But when it comes to in real life, it's just not practical because, I mean, you can't necessarily inflate yourself. It's not like we're Aunt Marge and, uh, and Harry Potter. I think that was her name, Aunt Marge from the third, the third book. 
yeah, the, the one that Harry like, super high maintenance. Yeah, and, and, the dog. and had the dog, and Harry like Lovick is fuck you, bitchicus. Like gets <laughs> really the pissy. Books, wasn't it two dogs? No, she only had one. I think the What's dog was named Ripper. Okay, you guys oh, are yeah, way. I remember that. You guys yeah. are way too into your Harry Potter knowledge here. I'm not trying to Harry shame. But no, what I'm what I'm saying is, you know, we're not like you know Aunt Marge with her dog that can get inflatified by Harry Potter. You know, there are distinct physical limitations that we have, you know, in meat space, in the real world, that we're not able to allow these mental kinks, these imagination land kinks to really apply in a safe, sane, and oftentimes consensual fashion. So, unfortunately, there are ways that, you know, there are kinks that you have that just are never going to translate. And if you're really into the inflation aspect that, you know, a little bit comical, you can actually wear like a latex rubber suit and have it filled with air so you get that sensation. Yeah, it's, you know, we're going to talk about that a little bit more later, but there are ways that you can simulate online sex, uh, online sexual kinks that are typically not possible in a uh, real world setting. And honestly, fursuits would be one way of, for example, simulating the anthro um, mm -hmm. component that we talked about earlier. And that's a very common one that you see in the fandom of a way of incorporating a, an online only or a fantasy kink and making it into an IRL sort of uh, safe or an IRL practical type of kink. Yeah, so I mean, there are definitely ways that you can incorporate, you know, those sorts of things. You can use fursuits. I mean, let's say, for example, you're into male pregnancy. I mean, let's just discuss it now since we're already there. <laughs> Thank you, Koji. Yeah. I got to make some edits on the show notes, everybody. The show is not scripted. Do you mind? But no, like, there are pregnancy pads, and I have some friends that are into male pregnancy, and for practical biological purposes, it's not possible for them to get male pregnancy in real life. And, you know, but as I tell Koji all the time, we are open to conception. So according to the Catholic Church, we should be good. Yeah, I mean, you're just going to keep trying. We're just going to keep trying. You're just going to keep on trying. We're doing our duty, you know? <laughs> We're going to give it our all. <laughs> but, you know, for people that are into that idea of, you know, male pregnancy, there are pregnancy pads, there are, you know, attachments you can get for your body. Oh, wow, some people roleplay it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah for sure. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's actually, yeah, I've seen it in real life where... You know, it helps people to be able to incorporate, you know, that idea, you know, take that into the real world because yeah. there, there are a lot, it's not just the idea of giving birth. It's the idea of carrying life for a lot of people for, you know, having somebody's, you know, child that they love inside of them. So there are a lot of reasons that male pregnancy is, you know, kind of a very common kink in the furry fandom. It's just not really that spoken about that much because people hear and they're just like, oh, you know, it, it's they get easily squicked out by it. I just hit the table. I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> but they get easily squicked out about it. So, you know, there are ways that you can simulate what happens online in real life. I mean, hell, if you're into, let's say, Vore, you could, I mean, I say this kind of jokingly, but it's, you know, feasible. You could you know, have like slim gems and like, ah, oh, I'm eating you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds really <laughs> stupid and childish, but like, there are ways that you can have fun with it. There are ways that it doesn't have to be so cut and dry where, oh, we're not able to do that. Maybe. Wait, beef jerky is literally cut and dry. <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Isn't... Oh you my see, God. You see, you get, you get me. You get where I'm going with this. You jerk. That was beautiful. Oh, yeah. Jerky. You jerky. Thank you. I am. A, I am. <laughs> I want to be cured of you and your puns. Oh. Well, that's good because I'm salty. Right, <laughs> flowing smoke. Because mm, you cure. Yeah, it's salty. Anywho's, I mean, the thing is, is that you know there are some things that just are never going to translate actual 
into real life you know things like rape things like um zoophilia things things of that nature where it's just not feasible in terms of legal matters in terms of you know it being ethical you know that that just don't translate that well but there are always I mean, ways Christville jack of Brit risk with eating someone is also pretty bad so we really don't want to get the kuru going oh yeah can we have a free kuru epidemic that would be bad <laughs> let's avoid that i mean i mean let's prions let's, man let's not let's not have a donner party so the good news I'm is from milwaukee by the way i, I grew up with that the, the dahmer the dahmer stuff the, the more donner? like don Murr. my party. mom used to go to the with west Dallas public library with jeffrey dahmer she used to see him there it's oh, kind of creepy yeah that's kind of wow yeah Yeesh. were they friends he ate some of my mom's friends <laughs> oh my Whoa. god yeah that's that's terrifying. Anyway, moving on. Nice little fun fact for you, everybody. Zero. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> the, the, the point is that there are ways that you can simulate these things in a safe, sane, consensual, and in some cases, legal case. And that's using the theater of the mind. That's using online roleplay. That's using negotiated scene play, whether that's, you know, age play, whether that's somebody wearing a fursuit. There are ways that these things can be simulated. They're, even if they don't actually translate to the real world to meet space. So just bear that in mind. But what's actually kind of, you know, important is how do you translate online kinks that you have? Let's say that you haven't really been that experienced in the real world in terms of your kink life, in terms of your fetish life, and you're interested in incorporating elements from your online role play, from you know your your online scene play into your real world relationships. And I think this is actually quite common with furries, who I think are much more likely to discover their kinks at an earlier age than a lot of people might because of things like F-List, because of mm -hmm. things like uh, role-playing and furry mucks and, you know, Twitter and things like that. Right. So, and you mentioned earlier that a lot of the furry fandom is predominantly gay or not exactly straight. Right, this predominantly non-heterosexual right. would, would be a good way of putting it. Which means that they can already justify having or imagining having anal sex. It's kind of like a entry, the gateway drug. Right, Dan Savage likes to say that a lot. Like, once you've told your mom you like to put dicks in your mouth, everything else becomes yeah. a lot easier to say, right? And mm -hmm. that's, I think that's true for yourself and it's true for other people. But the thing is, in the fandom, we often discover our kinks and fetishes before we're even having vanilla sex, before we're even engaging with other people sexually uh, in real life. Mm -hmm. And with that being said, it's really important that you not rush into kinks that maybe sound really hot in theory or that you've heard your friends talk about enjoying. But they might be higher skill activities than you're quite yeah. prepared for. And they might be things that you're not really able to dive into the deep end of the pool with just because you're lacking that experience. Right. So what we advise in these sorts of things is you want to make sure that you take it slow. You don't want to go from zero to warp 9.9 .9 in terms of kink because all of a sudden you, you might find yourself swimming in a deep end of a pool that you're not really capable of swimming in. As an alien slug. Yeah, pretty much as an alien <laughs> slug, you know, we are far from the... <laughs> so, you know, take it slow. Be safe in your kink play. Be sane in your kink play. Make sure that things are consensual. If you have a partner and you haven't discussed, like, you want to spice it up a bit in the bedroom, you want to get into some role play, you want to try some kinky things, 
You should definitely talk with your partner about it beforehand. You should have that negotiation with your partner. You shouldn't just spring surprise, you know, water sports, you know, out of nowhere, just like, hey, honey, come over here for a second. You know, you don't want to do that. You want to make sure that everybody is on board with getting peed on or, or whatever it is that you enjoy doing. You know, it's timed with the sprinkler system. <laughs> <laughs> it just comes on. Oh and it's my god! On. I think you just found the cure for the California drought. Oh no! <laughs> so you know, it's you want to make sure that everything is safe and sane and consensual. You want to make sure that you don't rush into things and that you you introduce it at a healthy, even pace. Right, and you might want to take time to enjoy things like basic vanilla sexual activity. If you're new with a partner, mm-hmm. I often recommend even if you're both kinky as can possibly be establishing that initial human connection by just having very simple low-key vanilla sex or even just foreplay to start to start out with Mm -hmm. and and really building things gradually you're going to have a much easier time getting into the kink because you'll build all the trust and the intimacy and the knowing each other's bodies that you really require before you're really adding in the varsity level kink type of play Right. It's important with a new partner to get to know what they enjoy, what are their erogenous zones. You know, just because you have a good online description, you've seen a few pictures, they've sent you a picture of their butthole, you know, doesn't mean that you know their body. You might know the physicality of it, but you don't know the sensuality of it. You don't know where everything is. You don't know where they like to be kissed. You know where they told you. But maybe you're a little bit different. Maybe they like it when you kiss them somewhere else. Maybe they like it when you nibble an ear when they haven't liked it before. You never know. You need to establish that physical connection before you go into kink play. You know, it doesn't... I'm not saying that there's a checklist where, okay, honey, we've had vanilla sex ten times. That means that we get out the whips and chains. (laughs) No. Move at your own pace. Obviously, yes. But you don't need to rush into kink play with a new partner, even if you've had multiple online kink sessions of amazing DS hypnosis and it's awesome and you just want to do it in real life. Take the time to allow the new relationship energy to let your relationship blossom. Take the time to get to know each other's bodies. Take the time, like Vera said, it doesn't need to be full-blown sexual intercourse. It can just be awesome role play. But, you know... The thing is, and this is advice we say for new people, people who are new to the kinks, new to new to sex with, with a new partner and mm-hmm. aren't as experienced. Right. If you're a 15-year pain pig and, and rope bunny, you can yeah. probably just jump into a scene no trouble, right? We're not, yeah. talk, we're not talking to experienced kinksters when we're saying this exactly. but Right. Yeah, it is important to draw that distinction. You know, if, if you're in a community for a long period of time, you're established, you know what you're doing, and you're with somebody that also knows what they're doing... You don't necessarily need the introduction phase. There can be some pretty quick ramp up in that situation. Yeah, I mean, I still advise not jumping immediately into it. I do advise, you know, a small period of time where you get to explore each other. If if the type of interaction calls for it, maybe it's just a scene play where there is no intimacy required. There is no kind of sensuality that is warranted. Maybe it's just a one and done scene, you know. And that's completely fine. You have to negotiate that, though. You have to have that understanding. When you're first starting out, the negotiation should include, you know, we're going to start out slow and we're going to ramp up down the line. We want to make sure that we work on a physical level, especially if you've only met online, especially if this is your first time meeting, if this is your first boyfriend, your first girlfriend, your first whatever, whatever you want to call them, mate, lover, partner, friend, I don't care. 
You want to ensure that you take the time to get to know them, that you take the time to let them get to know you. Build that trust, build that sensuality, and move on from there. You're my friend. <laughs> You've got a friend in me. I sing that when I watch people have sex. Oh, what? I'm just kidding. You just destroyed my childhood. You've got a friend. There's a snake in my boot. <laughs> you, you didn't happen to run a motel for 30 years, did you, Metrico? <laughs> <laughs> mm, no comment. Imagine what the toys must have seen in their lives. Oh, um, oh my god. Sex they were there when Andy like got adolescent and like yes. he probably discovered porn and he's like, and the toy closet. And <laughs> oh. his next door neighbor was that Sid kid. Yeah, that Sid kid. <laughs> oh. What if they were like boyfriends? Oh, that would have been cute. Been wow, cute. this is we got some fanfic going on over here. Oh, yeah, oh my god. I ship them. I ship that, Sid. That's your OTP. And Andy, Andy like helps Sid become a better person. Yeah, Sid in the last movie, like he has a pretty decent job. He works for the sanitation department. I mean, yeah, he has a pretty legit job going on. That's a pretty stable income. Yeah, I'm yeah. proud. <laughs> Good job, Andy, Sid. Andy's going into debt. <laughs> he's getting a degree in underwater basket weaving oh my god <laughs> a degree in toy studies but you know part of you know taking it slow is having a basic understanding of what kinks require of the safety of kinks how to make them safe sane consensual and we've mentioned a lot of these in previous episodes, especially when we had a discussion, an introduction to BDSM, an introduction to kink at large. But what we generally recommend, especially for any kind of introduction to a kink where you've never tried it before, your partner's never tried it before, neither of you have tried it before, you give yourself an out. You give yourself a safe word, a safe action, something that will allow you to immediately stop what's happening. Right. When we say safe word, we don't always actually mean a word. In some cases, let's say you're a bondage bottom and you're going to spend a lot of your time tied up. You might need a specific gesture, a specific tap, um, mm -hmm. the way you shimmy your shoulders in a certain direction a number of times. Yeah. Anything like that, just an obvious gesture that your, your, your top knows to pick up on and says, this scene is over with, or this scene, you need to check in with me. Yeah. Those types of safe words, you need it, and safe gestures, you need to have those. So, and that applies to really any kind of kink where you're starting at anew. You don't want to, to commit to something and have to go through with it if you realize a third of the way through that this is terrible and you need to stop. It's making you sick. Right, because no one wants to be responsible for accidentally traumatizing another person. That in itself mm -hmm. can be highly traumatizing. So I recommend as part of your negotiation that for any kind of kink play that you have, you integrate a safe word, a safe gesture, a safe action, something that will denote to your partner that the scene is over. You need to check in with me. If I call it quits, it's quits. It doesn't matter how much you're enjoying it, I need it to stop, or you need to check in with me so that way we can calibrate it a little bit. Maybe I'm tied down and I'm uncomfortable and you need to correct that. You know, always incorporate a safe word, a safe gesture, a safe action, regardless of your level of experience, because things happen. You can't predict how your body is going to react to a given situation, even if you've undergone that same type of play, if you've undergone being tied up and hung upside down in a fucking sex sling. Like, you can never anticipate you might all of a sudden have a medical emergency. You might need to break for whatever... No you need to allow for yourself to have an out. Or another extreme example is maybe this person wears a clone that's the same as the clone of the man who raped you 20 years ago. I mean, 
these things happen. They're very common. And so you want to make sure that if you're traumatized or experience symptoms of PTSD or you have a flashback of something or someone touches you in a way you don't like, you need to always have an out no matter how experienced you think you are, no matter mm -hmm. uh, how good you think you are at this particular kink activity. And that's why we recommend that you build that trust, that partnership in your sex mate, your sex partner, your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, how, whatever they are to you. Because without that level of trust, a safe word is nothing. Yes, it, most of the time people will acknowledge and will follow through with safe words. But you need to be sure. You need to be able to fully react, relax. And part of that comes from the knowledge that I am in good hands. You know, I am all state level kink insured. <laughs> you know, triple <laughs> A roadside. You know, like you're not. If if you're about to have a breakdown, you know they're there to help you. You know, you don't ever want to put yourself into a situation where you're afraid that they may not respect your ability to stop the play, stop the scene, stop the action. Always be with somebody that you're comfortable with. If you're not comfortable with them, you need to not put yourself in that situation. Yeah, you can't be making yourself that vulnerable to someone you have no trust in mm -hmm. because you're just putting yourself in danger at that yeah. point. Trust your instincts. Remember, you know, if you don't, if you don't get to experience the kink on that day, it's not the end of the world. If you don't get to have that specific scene, it's not the end of the world. If you have to call something quits because it's making you uncomfortable, it is not the end of the world. Trust your instincts. Trust your guidance. Trust what you feel. At the end of the day, you know, sex is a narrative that the two of you create together. And if they're having a good time and you're in the middle of a nightmare, it needs to stop because it's, yes, compersion is great. And doing something that you may not particularly enjoy, particularly, particularly enjoy, can be a good act to do for a partner. Yeah, that's like maintenance sex, which we talk about if there's a libido difference, for example. But what's important is that it shouldn't be something that you loathe, that makes you feel terrible, that is like a living nightmare for that's you. What resentment can build. Yeah, at first it should come off, it should really, the fact that you should have, at worst, should be neutral, right? Exactly. It's one thing to allow your partner to give you a foot massage, even though you don't really get mm -hmm. off on it. But it's a complete another matter to do something that you actually find traumatizing or deeply painful. Right. If, you know, you don't like to get tied down and fucked, you shouldn't do it just because your partner enjoys it, you know. And when I say you don't enjoy, I mean it is something that you loathe. It is something that inspires dread and fear and will drive resentment. You know, it's one thing if it's just like, whatever, just get it done. Like, leave the cable on. I don't care. Like, put it on Cartoon Network, God damn it, Adult Swim's about to start, Jesus Christ. Make sure I'm the head up this time, don't put a pillow on my face, like, mm. You know, like, it's one thing if it's just something where you're just like, whatever, just get it over with. But it, yet again, it is another thing where if you know going into it that you're just going to have a terrible time, you know, don't do things for your partner that, you know, out of this idea of false compersion where, well, I have to feel good for my partner so my partner can feel good. And that can also be a very uh, easy thing to do if you allow yourself to get into subspace. Mm -hmm. it, can very be, it can be quite easy to lose yourself completely in your partner. If you're a submissive and you're just ple pleasuring your dominant and suddenly you're doing something you did that was actually outside of your boundaries, you do have to be vigilant for that. Make sure you're maintaining your personal inten uh, integrity and your uh, own emotional boundaries in that situation. Mm -hmm. So it's important that if you're with a new partner, if you're with a partner that is perhaps a little bit more vanilla, you know, 
you don't just spring all of these things on them. You don't force them into these things where, you know, they have an idea and they're just not going to enjoy it. You need to gradually introduce kink into your relationship, especially if it's a, you know, far more inexperienced partner, whether it's you're inexperienced or whether they're just straight up vanilla. And we do suggest that if you're completely new to a kink, especially one of the more uh, skill intensive kinks like bondage or uh, sadism, masochism, things mm-hmm. like that. Um, sounding would be another good example. Um, I think that's a really high skill sort of kink. Um, trying those with some more experienced partner first is almost always a good idea. Mm-hmm. Even if you have a vanilla partner who's your primary romantic partner, it's a very good idea to try those things out with someone who's more experienced in that kink first. That was some really sound advice. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, I'm not. I'm a fox. <laughs> What's important Terrible. to note is that if your partner, and, and this is something that I do kind of want to say, there, there has been some discussion about whether or not, you know, when we talk about kink, are we vanilla shaming? Are we saying that people that enjoy, you know, on a, you know, base level, they just enjoy vanilla sex a lot more than they do kinky sex. They vastly prefer just penis and whatever, or, or you know, however they enjoy vanilla sex or their definition of it. And, you know, it's good to discuss, it's good to discuss kink. I sounded like Sean Connery. It's good. Junior! I'll give you one for Junior. No. <laughs> it's good to discuss kink. It's good to discuss your fetishes. Even if you are vanilla. And if you are vanilla, that's awesome. That's great. If if your idea of a good Friday night, of a good Saturday night, of a healthy, good sex life is sex and missionary, and you and your partner are into it, that's awesome. That's great. This is more for people that are kinky and need and have a desire to introduce their kink into their sex life. Vanilla sex is great. Vanilla sex is awesome. But kink sex is also good and kinky sex is also awesome. I see it as different genres of food. Like, vanilla sex is just good home cooking. And every once in a while, you make that good home cooked meal and it tastes fucking great. But to eat at the same restaurant your entire life... That's where kinks are fun. You get to try new spices. You get mm-hmm. to search for new food that you like. It's good. So if, for example, you are a kinky individual or you have specific kinks that you want to try and you are dating somebody that is vanilla, you should try to slowly introduce those kinks and you should frame them as a positive. Like, hey, you know, it would be awesome if we get to try this. Instead of, it would be great if you have to try, you know, if you... Right, if you roll out, like, leukemia, as Dan Savage likes to say, mm-hmm. and you say, oh, I'm really sorry, I should have told you this sooner, and I hope you, you'll be able to get through this with me, but... I have a foot fetish. Right, if you roll it out like leukemia, it's going to sound <laughs> like leukemia to your partner, right? Right. If you say, hey, there's this really great thing, I love having my feet rubbed, and when you do that, I'm going to feel amazing. Isn't it cool that we get to explore this together? When you sell it like that, mm-hmm. it's going to be a complete, perceived completely differently. Now, that being said... If your partner, you know, if your more vanilla partner says no, then you have to respect that. You do. It, that doesn't mean that that's the end of the conversation. You can still have a conversation, but that doesn't mean that you get to unilaterally introduce that kink into your sex life. You have to respect the emotional boundaries of your partner. And if having, you know, if, if you know, rubbing your junk on your feet is outside of their emotional boundary for whatever reason, you have to respect that. 
you can't just wantonly, unilaterally introduce kink into your sex life if your partner doesn't want to have it. Yeah, the options there are either you know, compromise and doing the activity only very rarely mm-hmm. uh, in order to maintain, you know, and enjoy your vanilla sex life, and you want to maintain that. Your option is to ask permission to explore that kink outside of the relationship with someone else. Or you have the option of just giving up on that kinky activity and paying the cost of admission to stay with mm-hmm. that particular partner and saying, okay, this is off limits if I stay with you, but I love you enough and we have enough else going on that I enjoy that I'm going to stay with you anyway. And I find in the furry fandom where a lot of us, you know, do engage in the online role play and online, you know, fantasy sex where a lot of our kinks, a lot of our fetishes are known to our potential partners, especially if we're trying to date within the fandom. So there are a lot of people that in the fandom have f have online f meet space f So it is easy for us to discuss these kinks, discuss these matters, because, oh, hey, look at my art. Oh, hey, look at this. Oh, hey, look at that. Come on my After Dark account. Come from my After Dark account. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of, you know, good that comes from the online scene that we have in Furry. So what we're able to do is we're I think we're more capable, we're more open to having these discussions about our kinks before we get into relationships. And I'm not saying that that's better or worse. I'm just saying that it is something that is unique because we're able to hammer out these discussions and they tend to be part of the initial negotiation of the relationship. It's very direct. Right. It's um, it's definitely far more, you know, okay, so are we going to be monogamous? Are we going to, you know, be... I feel like that sort of thing starts to become like a necessity in a relationship. Like if, you know, I was raised with my sister, sometimes we would have to, you know, go to the restroom or something and Mm -hmm. the other person's already in the shower and it's like, well, we grew up together. My sister's going to the bathroom and I'm in the fucking shower. And it's like, you kind of lose that, you know, off limits conversation with people that you trust Mm -hmm. who have also have had sex. It's like, here's the deal. We've all been through this a couple times. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, kind of like going with your example. It's, you know, you grew up in an environment where that sort of activity was open. And the fandom, you know, since we're a community at large, since we all have certain shared experiences, you know, we're able to have that discussion perhaps a little bit more freely, a little bit more openly, because, hey, you know, for a lot of the fandom, yes, they're in it for the cartoony, the fun, the... You know, I'm just in it for the art. And that's great. Welcome to the fandom. For people that are in the fandom and enjoy some of the more sexual aspects, which, I mean, we'll assume that a good majority of people that are listening to this show fall into that category, then we find that it's easier to discuss our sexual habits without hangups. It's easier to go into our, you know, kinks. It's easier to discuss things that we might want to try in real life, things that we might want to try you know, online and role play with our partners. And it's less of a heavy, difficult discussion, and it's far more of a open term setting discussion. So part of the reason that we advocate for approaching kink, especially if you're a novice to it, if your partner is kind of vanilla, if you're not that experienced in kink in general or sex in general, is that there might be some online kinks that you manage to convert into real-life kink practice and you discover partway through it, maybe after a few times that you've uh, 
practiced it or experienced it that you're actually not really that into it. And it's important to, you know, approach it from a perspective that you're, you know, going into it slowly and that you have open lines of communication with your partner because you always need to have an out for kinks that you realize you're just not enjoying. Exactly. You need to make sure that you're not afraid to tell a partner that a kink isn't working for you. And that doesn't have to be a really um, grand, dramatic conversation. It can be quite simple. Mm -hmm. You know, this is really hot for me to fantasize about, but when I do it, it isn't really so pleasurable for me. And that's a very neutral way of saying it. That's not going to make your partner feel like they've done something wrong because you're putting it out there that you do find this idea very hot. And you're also not putting any blame on your partner for you. Know, it's not a, I don't like it when you blah, blah, blah. And so you're saying, I don't find it sexy. And that's on me. It's not anything you're doing wrong. I'm the one who's having an issue here. So again, that's just a very nonviolent way of communicating the idea that a kink that you thought you would enjoy isn't really working out for you. I mean, we even spoke about this when we discussed how to negotiate a contract with a DS-style relationship, where if you rush into it and you discover that you're not really into it, whether that's the dominant position, whether that's the submissive position, position submissive position. Right, the tongue twister. <laughs> yeah, it's like in Portal, the party escort submission position. <laughs> um, if you're, you know, if you discover that whatever role that you play in that relationship. You know, you're not really that into, but you sign a contract waiving all rights. And if you if you approach it in a reckless, abandoned style, then you're going to have issues. That that same yeah, principle. The, the no recourse, total power exchange. <laughs> not, not your first time out, please, children. <laughs> and that idea translates to other types of kinks as well, whether it's being tied up, tying somebody else up, whether that's, you know, uh, water sports, whatever kink it is that you have a uh, foot fetish. You want to leave yourself a gracious out. You don't want to sign a contract that you're not willing to fulfill. And we also just say as a general rule, if you're planning, you know, play, play parties or you're planning who you're going to play with at a convention, try not to speak in terms of promises. Try mm -hmm. to speak in terms of, you know, it really would be great if we could. It would, you know, really looking forward to hopefully, you know, doing mm -hmm. so and so. You want to make sure that you're not committing yourself to some type of particular play because you might find out for one reason or another before that event's happening, that you're no longer really going to want to be doing that type of play. Right. You don't want to set the expectations for yourself and your play partner, your sex partner, your actual boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever they may be. You don't want to set the expectations to a level where you realize that you're not actually going to be able to attain. It's going to drive disappointment, and it could kind of sour the, the potential for future encounters with that individual if they're a casual partner even if you're a committed partner you don't want to commit to something you don't want to set expectations high and then realize that you're not able to attain them it's better to speak in possibilities not in actualities so even with kinks you know it's still important that you do a lot of research you know we mentioned this for ds you want to make sure that you understand the ins and the outs of the kink before you actually partake in it. And a lot of, you know, the reason that we want to stress this is the fact that with online, there are a lot of ways that you can kind of overlook very important parts and a lot of practicalities that go into specific kinks, you know. It could be that for, you know, I keep referencing water sports, I'll just run with it. It could be with water sports. You really love the idea of somebody you know, having sex with you and then peeing inside of you and then you having to hold it for a bit or 
you know, whatever, whatever it might go for you. But you might, in the real world, in meat space, you might realize that your body just isn't meant to do that, that you can't hold it, that it's making a mess in your bed, that you actually can't drink urine, whatever it may be. There are a lot of practicalities that go into a lot of these kinks. You know, if it's something where it's being tied up with rope, you might have a mental, you know, idea, oh my god, this is amazing. But if you don't do the research, if you don't do some test runs, if you don't have the understanding of what it actually is, then when it comes time to actually perform, you know, it's easy to make a mistake. And even if it's something that is in meat space, in actuality, in reality, something that does turn you on, something that just makes your dick rock hard, that makes your pussy just drip with excitement, it can sour your taste for it. It can completely ruin the experience. And it could be something where you're just like, I love the idea, but I had a really bad experience, and so I'm not willing to do it again. So you want to make sure that you have the, the knowledge in what you're doing. You have some level of experience. You reach out to people that are experts, that, that are well-respected for what it is that you're trying to do. And for most kink communities, especially within furry, that's really open. People are really open in discussing their fetishes and discussing their kinks and discussing their sex life. And if you approach them on an open level and just say, listen, you know, I'm interested in doing this in my own life, and I would love if you could give me some advice on it. That'll go a long way in ensuring your own sexual maturity. That will ensure that you and your partner are well-educated and well-informed, and you're able to make these decisions. You have the ability to have informed consent. And just as a bonus tip, um, if you're a submissive looking for a dominant to try things with, uh, a really effective approach with going to a dominant is not going to be to claim that you're like God's gift to submission. But honestly, <laughs> a lot of doms will respond really well to you saying, hey, there's this kink I've really been wanting to mm -hmm. try, that I'm looking for someone who's safe, who I can try it with, who's not going to go too fast with me, and I really respect you for X mm -hmm. and Y reasons, because so-and-so and so-and-so -and -so have played with you, and I really, you know, have a lot of respect for them, and I'd really love if we could do a scene together, you know. That type of approach is going to get a lot of doms, uh, it's going to get their juices flowing in a very positive <laughs> way, I would say. Much like when we linked to the tweets where somebody on Grinder approached somebody and was like, you will address me as sir, you are my slave for life. You don't want to come from a sub position and be like, I am the greatest sub that will ever have, you will ever have. I will serve you faithfully and obedient without question. You know, we, we, we do talk about people that are experienced, that have years and years and years of experience within that seen within that community and it's one thing for them to do it if you're coming from a place of inexperience you don't want to pass yourself off as something that you're not and getting back to their uh top of the show topic as well you want to have some emotional authenticity in your approach as well because a lot of sex especially sex in the furry community is going to be based on that emotional connection and with DS, it's really an emotional exchange as much as it is a power exchange mm -hmm. for the most part. You need that emotional connection to be there where the dom feels like they're taking control from you in a, in a consensual way, but also in an mm -hmm. authentic, realistic way. And the way you do that is not by faking it, but it's by being a, your authentic self and really just giving that, that dom the ability to explore that with you. There is a certain level of vulnerability that comes in the discussion of kinks. There is a certain vulnerability that comes with openly discussing your sex life. You know, there are going to be things that you have to mention. It could be 
you know, rather embarrassing, perhaps something that you wouldn't discuss, you know, in normal conversation, like, you know, oh, so you're interested in, you know, being a submissive. Well, that's great. You need to tell me more about this. You need to tell me more about that. These are, you might find yourself having to think about yourself in ways that you never have. And it can be very hard to say, I really love it when someone calls me a slut, or I really love it mm -hmm. when someone talks down to me. You know, if it's, you know, you're a guy saying, I really love it being treated like a little girl, that kind of mm -hmm. saying that kind of thing out loud can be really scary and difficult sometimes. And there's also a physical vulnerability that comes with these things, you know, especially with more of the physical based kinks. There might be questions that they ask that you, you just wouldn't understand why they're asking it unless they explain it. It could be if you're into some kind of chastity play, they might ask, well, do you have larger balls? Is your, are you a grower or a shower? You know, are you circumcised? You know, that sort of thing if you're a male, because these are questions that will help them guide you to good chastity resources. They're good for, you know, well, because of this reason, I can't recommend this option, but maybe this option. You know, there are going to be things that will be asked of you in the negotiation phase and also as part of your education, your introduction to that specific individual kink that will require you to be vulnerable with the person that is instructing you, whether that's a partner, whether that's a member in the community that you've reached out to, that is well-respected in that area. You have to be open and honest with other people and with yourself. And it's easier, especially in the fandom, for people to be honest with others, but it can also be very difficult at the, uh, for whatever reason for people to be honest with themselves because this is a kink that I want to do. This is a kink that I have to do. There is no equation. Sexual gratification, sexual enjoyment is not a must. It is not a need. It is something that is great to attain, but it is not something, especially when it comes to some of the more varsity level kinks, it's not something that you want to rush into. It's not something that you need instant gratification with because that will only sour your future experiences that will only potentially wreck your existing relationships. If you try to introduce them in an inexperienced, ill-advised fashion, and it can cause a lot of harm and collateral damage. It's good to be well-informed on these areas. It's good to know about the risks that are involved with some fetishes, with some kinks, there are some mild risks, and it is good to be informed of them. It is good to have a full understanding of what you are getting involved in. Because if you go into it, as I've mentioned, with reckless abandon, you open yourself up to a lot of collateral potential because of the advanced level of vulnerability. So it's important to keep that in play. Ask questions. Have somebody show you the ropes before you use the ropes. <laughs> you know, be willing to reach out to the community. We've mentioned that the fandom is unique and that the sexual, the, the expression of sexuality is incredibly open where people are not afraid to say, this is something that I enjoy. This is something that I enjoy, you know, having done to me. This is something I enjoy doing to other people. There is a level of openness that comes with the fandom because, uh, especially on the internet, we're just reflections of who we are in the real life. We are representing ourselves through the use of some of, of, of an avatar, of a persona. So that allows for us to mask 
who we are in real life. It allows us to compartmentalize in a lot of cases, to have these discussions, to have these layers of vulnerability. And in that, we can have open levels of communication concerning sexual activities and sexual desires and kinks that you don't often find in other communities that are not entirely focused on sex. Obviously, if you enter into a BDSM community, it is expected to perhaps have discussions about kink. It is not always expected if you enter the Harry Potter fandom to be able to openly discuss kink and fetish and, and crazy sexual fantasies with your fellow fandom members. Metrico, what's inside of your wand? Mm. <laughs> it's a bad dragon, 12-inch, <laughs> mildly pliable. <laughs> Maple. Um, no, but, like, that's the thing. With the... Dildo chooses the furry, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> you're a bottom, Harry. <laughs> <laughs> you're a furry, Harry. Oh, no. no. I'm a wart. It can't be. <laughs> Hagrid, it can't be. You're a yiffer, Harry. <laughs> ah! The but... yiff is in you. Oh, no. But that's what I mean. And this is why we you know, mentioned this earlier. The fandom as a whole has no backstory. It has no canon. It has no pre-existing connotations of what is right. And so that means that we are able to have difficult discussions. We are able to have awkward, crazy, insightfully vulnerable conversations about ourselves, about what makes us tick. And with that, we're able to educate each other. We're able to come from a place of growth. And I'm not just talking about macro. I'm talking about allowing other people to share in our interests, to learn from our experience, and to be better than we are ourselves. Whether that's in art, whether that's in fucking. So, be open to communication. Be open to education. Be open to being vulnerable, even though that sounds a little bit like a redundancy. You need to be okay with the fact that you need to learn these things. Because if you are going to incorporate your online fantasies into a real-life counterpart, there are logistics, there are a lot of factors that come into play. And not doing your research, and not having a basic understanding of what goes into the kink, or having a thorough understanding if it is something that is advanced, and could have long-lasting harm to yourself or to your play partner is disastrous. So, be safe, be sane, obviously be consensual, but be educated. Make educated, informed decisions, and make them with your partners. And that's really how you're able to incorporate your online fantasies into real life. So, we have, you know, kind of an oddly related question <laughs> to yeah. this. I call this question the uh, Ouroboros of Kink, actually, <laughs> uh, this week. And it, it's in fitting with our Kink Month. So, I think I'll go ahead and read it if you don't please, mind. Please do. So, I'm having a strange problem with my online power exchange relationships, our questioner asks. I am something of a switch, and I enjoy being submissive at times, but dominant at other times. I actually have both a master and a pet. Now, I recently found out that my pet also has a pet, but his pet is my master. 
Now, none of us planned this, but now I'm really confused in how we should be handling things. I mean, are we involved in a polyamorous relationship? Is there anything wrong with this arrangement? Do you think it's okay for us to keep it going? How do we could how could we do that? Now, just to clarify <laughs> what the arrangement is, because it took me two or three read-throughs before I fully understand it. Yeah. So the questioner yeah, graph it out for you. <laughs> the questioner has a pet. And the pet of the questioner also has a pet. And the pet of the pet of the questioner is the master of the questioner. <laughs> so it's a circle of dominance and submission. It's it's like the Lion King, except not at all like the Lion King. <laughs> yeah, it, apparently three switches somehow accidentally got together and formed a triad of DS independently <laughs> and accidentally, which is kind of amazing. It's kind of amazing and... It's it's even more amazing that this happened organically, <laughs> and I'm I'm really impressed. So, to the questioner who asked to remain anonymous, um, I I congratulate you. Really, I do because this is fairly unique. I think that it happened organically, but at the same time, it totally I, could happen. Yeah, it totally could happen, and it can totally work for you. Yeah, and that was the question that I think is the most interesting. Is you know, mm -hmm. obviously, whether you're in a polyamorous relationship is up to you guys to determine that. Generally, we say that polyamory is uh, occurs with the full enthusiastic of everyone involved. So technically speaking, because you didn't actually consent to forming this relationship, it won't, it won't really meet the technical definition of polyamory because you didn't form the relationship with the full enthusiastic consent of everyone involved. Mm -hmm. Now, if going forward, you all proceed in this and you work out some arrangement with the three of you, that could very easily become um, a polyamorous relationship you guys could be a triad of some kind right in that situation uh but again that's something you have to negotiate if it's, it's all happening with none of you really speaking to each other now a whole lot of communication i would argue that's probably not true polyamory uh, that's just according to our definition right but the more interesting question i think is can this work right and i think the important thing there is a term that i'm going to take from um kind of some of the old wars of religion and that's uh non-interfering magisteria and I think that's actually the key thing here. What that means is it's a reference to the fact that, you know, God and theological matters stay separate from science and um, kind of more practical matters. And those two things can can both mm -hmm. be true, but they can be independent. And the truth can be kind of on different levels of meaning. I think that's the kind of thing you're going to need in order to make this relationship work. And what I mean by the non-interfering magisteria is there's going to be certain things about your pet that are off limits to you dominating and controlling simply because they would directly impact your master and it would be inappropriate for you to be giving commands and direction that would alter your master's ability to direct you because that's then violating the spirit of that relationship. Correct. You, for example, couldn't order your pet to order his pet to allow you to do something because his pet is your master. It would kind of it would be a drastic conflict of interest. It would almost be like insider trading. Right. Or it's like giving yourself a command. Like, what, right. what, what are you doing at that point? Right. Yeah. Like, it's kind of like when you're a kid and your mom tells you you can't do something and you go to your dad and he says that you can. <laughs> that doesn't override what your mother said. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> Just because, you know, daddy said so doesn't mean that mommy doesn't get to crack the whip. No, and sometimes it's reversed. Yeah, I mean, well, obviously, I'm just using that as a very basic example, but the the point is, is that you don't want to give your pets a conflicting order that would cause your master to then not be able to give you an order 
Likewise, he can't give you an order that would conflict with you being able to give your pet an order. I mean, there is going to be a lot of give and take that has to happen to avoid that conflict of interest. And, you know, honestly, I've experienced this type of relationship in a way myself because I have a mate who uh, the two of us actually uh, were both really dominant tops usually. And mm -hmm. so we became romantic with each other and we realized that we'd actually really enjoyed the uh, kind of... Um, role inversion that we could have with each other right and so we actually have command words that we use when we're in order to dominate each other mm -hmm. and so what we have an arrangement that when we're doing that we don't use those command words ever in a way that would influence the other person's ability to command us so we have a similar sort of non-interfering magisteria thing going on where i can't command him to hey you can't you, you can't give me orders for the next six hours like i would never give that command because it would violate the spirit of our relationship it's kind of like when a genie says you have one wish, you can't say I wish for a million wishes. Right. That kind of violates the spirit of the wish. Likewise, you can't be like, I'm giving you a command. What is that command, sir? You're never allowed to give me another command. Exactly. That would not be appropriate. <laughs> so again, that's a high trust relationship. We don't actually have rules about that, but we both understand the spirit of the submission and the domination that we're going for in that relationship means that we aren't going to give each other conflicting commands because that would just not make sense and it would kind of violate the trust that's inherent to the relationship right and so that's why it is important like we mentioned early to get into a relationship that involves kink especially when it's power exchange a little bit slower especially if you're new to it if your partner's new to it you want to make sure that you build that trust because if you just kind of rush into it like Vero, you know, did not <laughs> but if he had there would have been a lot more conflict I would imagine so I mean, it's important to take your time. It sounds like in the relationship that the questioner has, this has been going on for some time. It's also important to note that it is online. So this isn't something that is, you know, in person. I think I, if they did it uh, without knowing in person, that would be even more impressive. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, what I, would, what I would ask, what I would kind of say is, you know, you need to make sure that everybody is on the same page and that might require an egalitarian conversation between the three of you where the three of you come to the table and have a discussion about what your relationship together is and you might need to work on these terms right and if you're doing this online instead of having uh three separate chats right uh you might actually want to consider having a group chat where you everyone's looking at the rp and the ds that's happening between everybody that way everyone's on the same page Everyone knows what the existing orders are, what the communication is, mm -hmm. and there aren't going to be any games of telephone taking place. Right, because it would be kind of bad if you gave conflicting orders, like all of you gave conflicting orders at once. It would, it would, it would kind of wreck the relationship. So there is going to be a higher level of communication. There is going to be a higher level of trust, as Vero said. But at the end of the day, it's totally feasible. But I would recommend an honest, open discussion between the three of you in order to bring everybody onto the same page. And if you are going to have a situation where you are giving conflicting orders or you have an order that disagrees, have a conflict resolution process. Maybe it's a vote from the three of you. Maybe it's you just all have an egalitarian discussion. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's the first command that was issued takes precedence. Maybe it's the last command that was issued takes precedence. Maybe you flip a coin. I mean, you could have, think mm -hmm. of a variety of ways you might be able to resolve this. Uh, but again, you want to make sure you have some kind of conflict resolution policy worked out because there might be a situation where you give two commands that conflict. Anytime that you have one slave who's sharing two masters, which in a way the situation is because you have a master and an overmaster, um, depending on where you are in the circle, I suppose. But you have to keep that in mind that you have to have these policies in place for how to resolve uh, conflicts and conflicting orders. Because if you don't, 
you're going to get in that situation and you're just going to get into an argument and it's going to completely destroy the DS scene or the DS relationship that you're in. Right. So I would recommend that you, all of you, take a listen to our episode on how to negotiate a DS relationship, what to look out for, what pitfalls that you might encounter, and use that as a framework in order to have this discussion. Plan out the eventualities. What happens if one of you departs the relationship? What happens if you want to bring somebody else in? It sounds like this was a little bit more of an open-ended relationship where there wasn't a lot of communication um, in terms of who was doming who, because it sounds like this person, your your pet in this, just picked up your master coincidentally, and it was outside of your realm of knowledge. I think that from the tone, is what I gathered is basically this person, they they disclosed that they had a pet and they weren't required mm-hmm. to disclose who, the identity of that pet. It just kind of came out. Right. In conversation later on, oh, your pet is that person? Oh, well, that person's also right. this person to me. So, yeah. And I'm not saying that that's bad or anything. Right. I am just saying that, you know, it might be, you know, make sure that all of you are on the same page in terms of the level of disclosure that you have, because you do want to preserve the balance. You do want to preserve everything that is happening. So just have an open line of communication and have that discussion, have that negotiation, have some conflict resolution planned out, and have, you know, map out some of the eventualities. I mean, it doesn't mean that you're poly because you all have an agreement, but it does mean that you're better equipped to have a healthy DS relationship triad. Right. So on that note, you know, I think it's time for us to close out the show. I think that, you know, we've done, you know, enough (laughs) i don't want to say enough i think we're good we're gonna quit but i think that we've exhausted everything we can say on this topic indeed uh and we'll have a bit more opportunity for feedback before our last episode of uh Mm -hmm. kink month coming up uh next week which is our after dark episode which might sound a bit dark and mysterious but we're going to get into how we explore kink a bit in our own lives because obviously we know how to talk about ourselves pretty well Yeah, as I mentioned, there is a certain level of vulnerability that comes with being part of the fandom and openly discussing kinks and fetishes. And so next week, it's going to be an After Dark special where Vero and Metrico, that's me, and Koji perhaps even, talks about, you know, we talk about our kinks and our fetishes and how we discover them and how we explore them. And we give our own experiences in some ways. We're going to talk about some crazy kinky nonsense. And also, if you have questions about particular kinks, this is your chance to shine. This is your Ask Us Anything episode on kink and fetish. Right. If you want to prevent yourself from having to listen to us discuss our our kinks and all the the nasty things we get up to, uh, the more questions you ask, the less time we have to talk about ourselves. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind. (laughs) So if you want to avoid the possible embarrassment of having to listen to this while you walk through the woods and hearing me use the word fuck a lot... Ask a question. There's no guarantee that I'm not going to use the word fucking the answers to those questions, but it will be less in the context of me and more in the context of other people. Is this like when kids in sex ed class drop anonymous questions into the teacher's box? Essentially. Yeah. (laughs) And speaking of that, we do have a way that you can anonymously reach out to us. If you go to our contact page, we have a form where you can anonymously submit questions. If you do want us to reach out to you, though, please leave a way for us to get back into touch with you and let us know if you want us to use your information. We also have an Ask FM where you can anonymously drop that, and some people prefer that. Right, and our contact form on our website is also anonymous if you'd like to use that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, 
We also, if you, you can reach out to us on Telegram, on Twitter, on Facebook. We have an IRC that a few people use every now and then. There were three people in it today, actually. Yeah, it was pretty hopping for the IRC. (laughs) Our Telegram is far more populated, and we have a link to all of that and more ways to get into touch with us on our contact page at www.feralattraction.com slash contact. So, you know, a few things. Next week is going to be our last week of kink month. So, you know, use this time. If you have any final questions on kinks, This is your time to shine. We might revisit some kink questions down the road, but, you know, we want to kind of hyper-concentrate everything into the month. Right, and if you you would like to ask us anything uh, in person, uh, an upcoming con appearance is Vero is going to be at Anthrocon, so that's me. If you would like to meet up with me at Anthrocon or uh, sit down with me to record a voice question or do any of those types of things, you're Mm -hmm. welcome to do so. I'm happy to meet up with fans of the show at the con. And if you pay us the low, low rate of, I think, $10 a month. $10 a month on our Patreon. You can engage me in a non-consensual DS relationship by compelling me to meet up with you at the con uh, by paying me $10 a month on our Patreon account. So (laughs) take advantage of that before AC, and I'm all yours. Unfortunately, I will not be there for Anthrocon, so you're not able to compel me. But if you have questions that you would like to have your voice on the show, asking the question, reach out to Vero. If you have questions that you've been embarrassed to reach out to online to ask, reach out to Vero. If you want to talk about butts, reach out to me. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> but reach spe- out and grab that butt. But speaking of our Patreon, it's you know, we do appreciate there are some people that you know have made the decision to give financial support to the show and we do appreciate you. And we would love to mention you on the show to give a shout out to something you're working on, your Twitter profile, your fur affinity, something. Please get into touch with us if you support us on Patreon. Let us know what you would like us to plug. We will plug anything for you, baby. <laughs> oh. uh, that came out interestingly. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, it's, it's a, I'm a whore because a slut doesn't get paid. That's true. <laughs> That's true. But we really do thank you for the support that you give to the show. Another way, if you're not able to financially support the show, or if you would prefer not to, if you listen to us on iTunes, give us a rate, give us a review. It helps our visibility, it helps us in the algorithm, and it's a really nice way to show your appreciation for the show. Or just tell your friends, anyone you think might be interested, let them know that we exist. We'd appreciate it. So, on that note, I think we're going to wrap up the show for the night. Indeed. I'm Metrico. And I'm Vera the Science Collie. Be well. Thank <laughs> you.